In football, anything can happen on the field, and your level of confidence determines how you handle it, and the same goes for moving. It's why Penske Truck Rental equips you with as much confidence as possible to handle whatever comes your way. With newer, cleaner, safer trucks, Penske Truck Rental helps you move with confidence. Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. I'm Chip Patterson. That's Barton Simmons. We're here Tuesday afternoon, October 2nd. Full, second full month of the season underway uh, as we as we sit here preparing for week six. And we got a big show for you. This is this is the analytics. These are the numbers. Uh, this is going to be a, a fun show where we're going to be first of all diving into the numbers of uh, a contract. <clears throat> we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, we also have our Penske truck rental team on the move and a conversation with SB Nation's Bill Connolly. Now, Bill Connolly is the architect of the S&P Plus, uh, an advanced statistics metric of college football that is, uh, from, my, from my standpoint, definitely the, uh, the industry standard. It's also featured over at Football Outsiders, uh, so we'll get to him momentarily. Barton, you, uh, how, how you feeling, man? You, you've gotten the full recovery in, got a good, good night of sleep or two after returning from Harrisburg? Yeah, it did take me a little bit of time to get fully back on board. It was a little, a little groggy on Monday. Um, but, but yeah, I'm back dialed in. Uh, I had a little re- release some rankings for 24-7 sports today. Uh, now time to move on to, to previewing and prepping for, uh, for the weekend. 2019 rankings? Yeah, just some position. We're doing positional rankings updates like weekly. So uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing, um, you know, we updated linebackers this week, updated secondary about a week ago. Next up, D-line. Just just plug it on through, finding the next superstars. Um, I'm, I apologize for putting you on the spot, but is there is there a player that has stood out to you in this process that you feel like you've been fighting for in the room or in the discussions? Uh, yeah, yeah, so... I don't know about fighting for, um, but I think we're because in general we're, we've been pretty much in agreement on things. I think the one just in the most recent update, Tyron Hopper, linebacker commit for Florida. Um, he's the type of guy that Will Muschamp used to get in as sort of a three-star type of guy who then goes and and goes on to be a first-round NFL draft pick. Just a striker who's really athletic. Um, you know, I think that Dan Mullen's getting those type of guys in too. Uh, he's not really recruiting the state of Florida as heavily. It's more of a it's it's a little bit more southeast regional, or at least not having as much success in the state of Florida. So that that's been a little bit of a knock. But they're still getting dudes in, um, and uh, uh, you know they're recruiting Alabama and Georgia and areas like that pretty well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether they start making making better strides in state. That's a that's an interesting tactic or a storyline that i'm you know once the season ends or i guess shoot at the early signing period you know we'll we'll start figuring out pretty quickly but so like dan mullen from his time at mississippi state recruiting the southeast 
looking for the guys that other SEC teams might have missed on, ones that are going to be a good fit, ones that he feel like with some good development can turn into the kind of players that have Mississippi State playing in Orange Bowls. That's but now, and now you're doing that that same plan at Florida. That's a that feels like a recipe for success. Well, I mean, like, at Florida though, like you should be able to get, like you shouldn't have to sort of evaluate up. Like you should just be able to get the best out there. You should be able to get top five classes. Um, and so, I think that as of yet, like. I th- I think Dan Mullen has got to up his game on the recruiting trail and being able to land elite five-star type of guys. And that might, maybe that's just going to take some time, but so far we haven't seen that. And that doesn't mean that Florida won't be really good, but I, I still think it's, it's sort of proven that in order to compete for national titles, you got to be top five type of classes. You got to be Alabama, Georgia, Clemson type of classes. And, uh, and it'll be, It'll be fascinating to see whether Florida is able to get to that kind of level, and you know maybe the recruits follow the wins, uh, but we'll, we'll see if they can get that done. Uh, one of the early headlines from the week includes some details about Bobby Petrino's contract. Uh, we want to go ahead and start discussing this now. Louisville plays on Thursday night in a nationally televised game against Georgia Tech. I don't think that anyone expected uh, that team that game to be a game between two of the bottom teams in all of the ACC. Uh, but the headline, of course, being that if Louisville fires Bobby Petrino during the 2018 season or right after it, thanks to a seven-year extension that he signed in 2016, being under contract through 2023 means that Louisville could owe him more than $14 million in buyout money. Georgia Tech not having a great season. The the Bees beat up on Bowling Green this past weekend, but I've watched a lot of Georgia Tech. I've lost a lot of locks in those types of games, and I can tell you that they don't really seem to be clicking on all cylinders. And when a Georgia Tech offense in particular is not clicking on all cylinders and dictating the pace of a game, uh, things can get really messy really fast. So with Paul Johnson and Bobby Petrino off to bad starts and seemingly a little bit under fire and feeling some of the heat under their seat, I will ask you this, Barton. Is this a Thunderdome game, A, and B, if I'm going to set an over-under at uh, coaches in this game who are at the same institution next year, if I set it at .5, are you going over or under? That's a tough. That's a tough question, and I knew you were going to ask it. And here I am, and I don't know the answer. I think I'm going to go under. And what what an odd year! Like so much turnover. Probably the two most fireable coaches right now in in major college football and Power Five football are Bobby Petrino and Larry Fedora, and both of them have prohibitive buyouts to where it makes it really hard to get there. Um, I think. I, I, my hunch, I don't know Vince Tyra, the little athletic director from Adam, but my hunch is that they would love an excuse to clean house, start afresh, and the fact that Jeff Brom is just sitting over there with, and, and, and uh, kind of a no doubt, op, like no doubt hire who would take it probably, who is 
one of the clear stars in college football from a coaching standpoint at a pretty young age. Like, it's such a no-brainer that I don't know. Maybe it's worth just all right. Eat the buyout. Let's just let's just take this guy where we can get him, and and then and then let's get a rolling. Makes me feel like that's that's plausible, but it's just hard for me to fathom them eating 14 million and handing that over to Petrino. And then I don't know. In a way, the 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 Georgia Tech Tech thing is just. It just feels like they've been been comfortable with that mediocrity for so long. It's like what's changed this year. You're you're an ACC country. Like what's. I don't think they're comfortable with mediocrity, and I think that this is a low point. I think that missing the postseason three out of four years is a low point, and that's when you start to think about making a change. Now, where do you see yourself, and who do you think you can go get? That's very different. You mentioned with Louisville, it almost seems like the option is there. And remember, Vince Tyra, like when when it came time for replacing Petrino – I mean, not Petrino. When it came time for replacing Patino, he went and got best available. He went right. over to Chris Mack at Xavier, and he backed up the money truck, and he said, I know you're coaching at your alma mater, and I know that you're in the perfect spot, but, man, you could really like help us out in a pinch right now. And he was able to convince him to do that. And that's like that action by that new athletic director is what leads me to believe that uh, there might be some some go get him to uh, this to him and being being willing to go and get it. I don't know where the within the Georgia Tech athletic department and listen, Georgia Tech and Paul Johnson just agreed to a new deal in this past off season. I don't know where the go get him is, and I don't know if there's the obvious candidate. Like I'm almost tempted to say over in the idea that Louisville might have a change. Georgia Tech might not, even though, like I said, it does seem like we are at a low point of the Paul Johnson tenure. Yeah, it just feels like what, what's when is it ever going to get better? Yeah, maybe they cycle up for a nine-win season in a couple years or so. I, I don't. It's just that Georgia Tech is such a boring program to me. Um, well, that's because you. That's because the recruiting leaves nothing to be desired. And that's part of it, I think. Like you don't, don't you want like identifiable players on the team? You know, you're you're there. You're in Atlanta, for goodness' sakes. Right. Like you can. You should be able to find like if you've got a program that's exciting to young people. Like, who's to say you can't be bringing in big name, big time guys who can who can sort of really sort of lead a, a turnaround? I, I mean, we haven't tried it in forever. How long has Paul Johnson been there? Nine years, I think. I mean, it's like that's like he's the most. I think he's the most tenured uh, ACC coach. Yeah. So I, you know, I it's uh. So I, I'll bump it up to one. I'll, I'll go over the half. Ten years. I, but but I think it's more. But I'm but I'm more. Um. I I, I think it's more likely Louisville makes a change to me. I just like it's like you said. I just think Vince Tyra is just wants any excuse to get this thing done and, and move on and just get and, and just sort of rid himself of the Tom Urich era, which was a pretty successful era in, 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 in Louisville athletics. But there's, but there now there's a lot of scandal associated with it. And uh, let's just clean house. Like I could just, I think that there's gotta be a temptation there. I've seen some of the most talented athletes fail because they lacked one essential ingredient, confidence. 
Without it, everything else goes to waste. It'll make or break any athlete. And the same is true with life off the field, too, especially when it comes to moving. It's why Penske Truck Rental equips its customers with as much confidence as possible to make their move successful. They do it by offering newer, cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road. Every truck undergoes a multi-point inspection, and you'll get unlimited miles on one-way rentals. So whether you're moving across the country or just across town, Penske Truck Rental helps you move with confidence. And now it's time for Teams on the Move, brought to you by Penske Truck Rental. And our team that is on the move that we want to focus on this week is the Auburn Tigers. Auburn, in a game that uh, before the season I had circled as, you know, like potential SEC championship contenders, you know, these are going to be the threats to Alabama Still plenty of intrigue. Uh, Auburn going on the road to play Mississippi State. Auburn as our team on the move. The Tigers have that one loss to LSU and a couple of, you know, at, at risk of being disrespectful, Barton, uninspiring wins elsewhere. Dude, I think uh, yeah, disrespectful is welcome after those. That Yeah, those were nasty wins. So what do we good make defense, of them? Good defense, good defensive play. But what I mean, that's ultimately what this game boils down to is two teams that with really good defenses that are living up to their reputation and two offenses that are not living up to the expectation. And Auburn, I mean, I, I actually, during the Washington game, I really felt like this Auburn team looks like they, they know who they are on offense a little bit more they, than, than last year. They've they're sort of looked themselves in the mirror and said, we don't have Nick Marshall at quarterback. Let's let Jarrett Stidham throw it around a little bit. And, and, and here we are a couple weeks later and they're just, it's not, it's not working. Um, and it's, it's not pretty. Uh, and the offensive line is, is taking some lumps. And so I think Auburn is, is back. Like it feels like they're, unless they have, a true dual threat quarterback. It just feels like they're always searching for an identity, doesn't it? I I think that they need either uh, they need a workhorse or a superstar, and I think that that workhorse or superstar on the in terms of the ground game, I don't think it has to be the quarterback. I thought that Carryon Johnson was that played that role last year. Um, you know, you had it with Nick Marshall, but like I could also probably say that Trey Mason was there. Cam Newton was all of it. And I, again, I just sort of come out of, uh, I come at Auburn looking at the same thing, which is the running back position. And they took a hit with uh, Jatavius Whitlow goes down with a shoulder injury in the Southern Miss game. Sean Shivers has a pretty high ceiling, but he's still real raw. And Cam Martin, who's been invisible at times during this season so far, he, he stepped up against Southern Miss, but he, I guess he's back to RB1 and just... The fact that the the running game as a whole doesn't have a workhorse, doesn't have answers, doesn't have almost like the simple video game style, we know that this guy is going to be able to get us four to five yards. I think that's what's really missing with Auburn's offense right now. Would you consider Auburn a a candidate to be a top 10 team by the end of the year? No. I don't really either. Yeah, I just don't. They like even a team who's had some who's had some flaws early in the year, 
like Notre Dame. And look, maybe this is recency bias because they've looked good the last couple weeks, but I trust who Notre Dame is a lot more than Auburn. I trust who, in some ways, I trust who Kentucky is more than Auburn. Oh, I absolutely think that Kentucky has an identity, more more of an identity than Auburn does, for sure. Yeah. So I, I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them a benefit of the doubt to the, to the extent where let's see if they can figure this out because. They've figured things out before. They've gotten in a role before. Um, but I, I do think that in a way this weekend, um, heading to Starkville, I think we'll sort of – there'll be a reveal of some sorts. Even though Mississippi State is a, is a very flawed team in its own right, if Auburn can figure out a way to win and, and put some points on the board, I think that's going to say a lot. Now, if this is some sort of ugly, like whose offense looks worse, like what offense is – the tallest midget in this game, then maybe I leave with still with with serious doubts because. But if if it, if this turns into some just sort of like not appalling twenty four to thirteen type of win by Auburn, you know, I, suddenly I, I I could find myself finding some belief again. Auburn a three and a half point favorite in that game. Do you have a lean, a pick, or even an early lock on it? Oh no! I don't. I don't exp- look. I'll, I'll do my research. I'll crunch my numbers over the next forty-eight hours. I don't. I don't anticipate me having a lock on this one. But I still there's there is part of me that still believes that there's some good play left in there at, at Miss, for Mississippi State me too. too. Like if you look at the game last week, I mean, what uh, Florida had the the double pass for a long touchdown. They That's end, it. And Mississippi State literally dropped a touchdown like a 50-yard touchdown pass you know those things go differently and I mean that's a big if I know I get it but I just I do think that there is I do think that there is a team in there in Mississippi State that is worth being scared of you and Uh, me baby we're gonna die on that hill I got Mississippi State plus three and a half and I think they get the straight up win hey I'm not I, I don't doubt that I'm just uh, you know, these are just two t- two tough teams to t- to uh, trust right now. And that is the Penske Truck Rental teams on the move. Remember, Penske Truck Rental helps you with your move by offering you confidence. The confidence comes from newer, cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road thanks to their multi-point inspections. If you line up with Penske Truck Rentals, you can get unlimited miles on one-way rentals. The unexpected is bound to happen, but with Penske, you'll have confidence so that you can handle it. Penske Truck Rental, uh, teams on the move, helping them move with confidence. All right, you ready to bring on Bill Connolly? Let's dig into those numbers. And now it's our pleasure to welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. He is Bill Connolly. Let me get out this scroll and roll it down. You can find him at SB Nation. You can find him at Football Outsiders. You can listen to him with Stephen Godfrey on the podcast Ain't Played Nobody. Um, this is, uh, in in my mind, uh, the, the chief analytics officer for college football, and he's also been very friendly and a, a cool person to work alongside in this industry over the last decade. Uh, Bill. How you doing, man? I'm great. How are you? Uh, we're well. This is uh, this is the take that for data episode, and so you are obviously the one who's going to be brought in. Um, the the S and P is is the was the ranking system that we will be referencing often. So as an introduction for any fans that might not be familiar with it, what is your 
Um, you know, what is your simple prepackaged introduction to a college football fan on on sort of where the S and P formula came from and uh, how you honed in on it to represent what makes a good college football team? Well, I mean, the shortest possible version is just basically it is the opponent adjusted, tempo adjusted look at college college football efficiency. Um, it's gotten way more complicated than that, you know, in terms of the number of factors that get inputted and everything else. But at its heart, that's what it is. It was a look at, uh, you know, uh, just looking at efficiency and explosiveness within college football and all the other little factors that can be that can you can use to make predictions that you can use to look ahead, uh, you know, in a forward facing kind of number. And, and uh, you know, it's been evolving through the years and, and I, and I kind of like it. I think it's pretty good. What about the uh, the tweaks to it that happen every year? How does how does that how does that happen in the off season when you when you've got to sit down and you got to start thinking uh, about ways that you can because you do adjust it over time, right? Yeah, like uh, every couple of years, I'll probably do a, a well. It's not always a significant overhaul, but basically, as I talk to people, as I talk to coaches, as I write about the sport and notice where S and P plus is good or bad, or you know, if there are certain assumptions it's making that I don't like or whatever, then I will kind of go back to the drawing board and try to figure out how to make it better. Uh, it always has to be made more predictive. That that really is the. It, it, this isn't just like I, you know, I created a number that reflects my view of the sport. The idea is to make it very predictive, and I think it's uh, it, it's gotten you know the latest set of tweaks had to do with opponent adjustments. That's all, that's the thing about college football. There are always ways to improve your opponent adjustments, uh, and I think I figured out a couple decent little tweaks to make. I guess. So then, you kind of answered the question a little bit, I think. But when when you look at the S and P. Do you think of it as a sort of a, a better AP top 25 where you just are, are listing what the best teams in college football are? Or, or is the idea to where you can look at this list and, and is the whole purpose of it to just sort of predict outcomes uh, or, or likely outcomes moving forward? Yeah, I think, I mean, the, when, when you look up in the middle of the season, especially, you know, if, if the week five S&P Plus rankings or whatever, that's basically what you're seeing is, is kind of a ladder match in terms of, you know, the order uh, of superiority in college football. It is meant to be forward-facing. I think it does a pretty good job of looking backwards, too, uh, in terms of what you've seen, but it is definitely not like a resume ranking kind of thing. I, we, we've been messing with kind of a side, what, what I call resume S&P Plus that, I, that I've been putting out on Mondays this year, uh, where, where you kind of take that S&P Plus ranking, and then you kind of do the ain't played nobody adjustment uh, and figure out who, who they played and, and what a top five team would do against those teams and how did they do and kind of compare and contrast. But I do think like at, at its heart, college football is two different, different arguments at the same time. It's who's best and then who has the best resume or who, who's the most deserving, who, who's most deserving of a title shot or whatever. And those are two extremely different arguments to have, and we try to have them simultaneously, and it gets kind of messy. Um. Well, let's dig into this year's, or, or I guess this this season's um, ranking through five weeks. You update it every weekend. Uh, it's always interesting to look at. Uh, and again, this is just to be clear. This isn't your opinion. This is more of just what the numbers have spit out. Yeah, this so, is what, yeah. The, I, I agree with. I, I tend to agree with most of it, but it is definitely it is an algorithm and not my own opinion. So let's let's start with with one that will be probably one of the more. Um, hot button teams you've got lsu down 17th um you know you could certainly you could make a case lsu could be as high as you want them to be based on you know who they've beaten what right. do you think is what what do you think the numbers have have shown you uh, or, or what do you think the numbers are saying to, to put lsu that low what, what are we missing on lsu if you've got if you think they're that good 
Yeah, I mean, LSU right now is, is kind of the best example of a uh, resume, uh, a best versus most deserving number. Most deserving. I mean, they've, they've beaten Miami and Auburn, and that's uh, as good a, a resume as anybody in the country has at the moment. But from a you know from the breaking it down into the individual components i mean they they have uh enjoyed some pretty decent turnovers luck like i i value a turnover at about five points on average in terms of field position lost and gained and whatnot uh they're basically in terms of what uh it's hard to explain this very quickly but the, the the expected turnovers based on fumbles and passes defense and all that versus the actual turnover margin they're way 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 ahead of where uh the, the national averages suggest they should be which basically means uh they've had a happy turnovers luck about six points per game uh the auburn game was was one they probably don't win if they play again especially if, if things play out they were extremely inefficient in that game they had just a couple of little windows of opportunity and kudos to them for doing it for for taking advantage of those and winning the game, but it's not a game they probably win best of seven. And so um, the, basically S&P Plus views that as a, as a likely loss, the way things played out. And so it's really kind of looking at them more as a 4-1 and one team, so to speak, instead of a 5-0 and o team. So you kind of look at then when the, the formula at least kind of looks at a team that is causing a lot of turnovers, beneficiary of a lot of turnovers as a like a skill is, is, I guess it, it, you find that more by chance than necessarily saying, hey, this is a, a team or a defense that really creates opportunities for themselves. <laughs> you think there's a lot more uh, a lot more chance, I guess, involved right. in that than just the, the scheme. Yeah, I mean, basically, they're, they're, I'm glad you used the word opportunity. They're basically, there are things you can do to create opportunities or, or create more opportunities for yourself than your opponent gets. Uh, but when the fumble hits the ground or when the pass is deflected into the air, then randomness takes over. And so on average, uh, a given team's their fumble recovery rate, like all fumbles in a given game, are gonna, it's going to gravitate towards 50% over time. But in a given season, you'll have some that are like at 70% and some that are 30%. And inevitably, their close game record is going to be be, you know, defined a little bit by that. And then on the, uh, in terms of passes intercepted, like you look at the ratio of pass interceptions to breakups, typically it's about one to four or one to five, uh, or excuse me, one to three or one to four. Uh, but sometimes you get just, you know, sometimes the ball sticks in your hands. And so I do try to separate. It's not simply, hey, they're plus whatever in turnovers, therefore they're lucky, but there is still a way to kind of determine here's what, about what their uh, expected turnover margin should be. And in LSU's case, it's about plus one right now, uh, but if their actual turnover margin is plus seven, and obviously those extra six, so, you know, if there were only plus two in turnovers right now, there may be a four and one or three and two team right now. But what do you think <clears throat> about LSU? Like what is like as as you're starting to look at this team and as you're starting to play it out and and consider about where uh, this this Tigers team could be at the end of the year whether they could challenge Alabama you know all of the big questions that surround anyone that's going to look like they are an exciting team in the SEC West like what do you think they do well and, and where do you sort of see them in that picture. Well, I mean, right now they're kind of taking the shape of a, of a Les Miles team, you know. I mean, really as physical as possible, uh, running the ball pretty well, passing, you know, making the, the exact passes they need to, but maybe not accomplishing a lot beyond that, uh, and playing really good defense. And I, I was encouraged uh, by the ease with which they put away Ole Miss. I mean, I realized they were favored pretty comfortably in that game, but Ole Miss still has a really good offense, and I thought it was going to be kind of an interesting, you know, can they uh, just basically, you know, put, you know, stomp on Ole Miss's terrible defense appropriately, and 
can they slow down Ole Miss's offense and it, because it's really good. They did both. Um, so I was really impressed with that. You, th- these early results, you know, they, as, you know, whether they are viewed as, you know, by S&P Plus as having won or, or really probably been lucky to win that Auburn game, they also messed around against both uh, Southeastern Louisiana and Louisiana Tech, and those games count too. Uh, but they did not mess around with Ole Miss, and that's a very good sign, I think, moving forward. Now, I mean, obviously we'll learn what we need to in the next three weeks, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, uh, and then, of course, after a bye week, Alabama, too. So we're kind of speculating right now. Uh, we'll get our answers pretty soon, but I'm, I'm uh, much more confident in teams that really just handle their business quickly like LSU did on, uh, on Saturday. I'm glad that you brought up the best and the most deserving because some of your – writing around the SMP resume uh, had me thinking that, and I, again, I will give you credit here and I'm putting this out on the podcast. So I don't want to, <laughs> I, I don't want this to, to anyone to think that I'm lifting it totally, but like best versus most deserving is, is absolutely the way that I would uh, probably, I will probably ha- engage in the college football playoff discussion. And that's like, it's, could you elaborate more on that? Because your example mm-hmm. about Florida state was good. Because that's yeah. that's another one of where you know what a good team does. A good team just puts teams away, and when right. you're messing around, then you might be the most deserving, but you might not be the actual best team. Like how 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 is that discussion coming together for you right now? Yeah, I mean the the best the best example I could come up with was you know 2013 Florida State ain't played nobody. Uh, obviously, you know their strength of schedule wasn't all that great, but they manhandled teams. You can learn just as much about a team by in the way if they appropriately manhandle teams that should be manhandled, and and that Florida State team did. And so I, I was uh, you know in the middle of that 2013 season, I found myself writing quite a bit about you know they I understand they ain't played nobody. I realize they're 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 not of the SEC. I realize all these things. This is a really really good football team because they're dominating. They're beating teams by 50 when other teams are only beating them by 20, and that still says something. And not just that they were running up the score, because they weren't. They were just putting games away really quickly. Uh, but then the 2014 team, basically, like it's always a tell. It's it basically the best thing you can say about a team is they just win. They just find a way. That means they're making life really hard on themselves, and, and it, that's probably not going to result in a 14 and 0 or 15 and 0 record. And the 2014 FSU team, on paper, was really not even a top 10 team. I can't remember where they finished in S&P Plus, but I think at, at their highest point, they were only about eighth or tenth. Uh, even though they were winning games because they were doing it in extremely unimpressive fashion, they were messing around with teams. Uh, they shouldn't mess around with and they almost got tripped up quite a few times and then of course they got demolished uh by Oregon in in the playoff whereas the year before the team that hadn't played anybody beat Auburn the team that had beaten Alabama and everybody else so I thought that was a, probably a good example to use you can learn things we don't we, are, we already have this tiny sample in college football of 12 or 13 games where we try to figure out all the answers, uh, but when we do the whole ain't played nobody thing, we end up basically judging a team by two games or one game, and that's ridiculous. You can learn something every single time a team plays, uh, and it, it all kind of adds up into one big picture, and I don't think we do enough of that. I think we discount too much of the information that we have when we already don't get enough. Uh, so against, oh, go ahead, Bart. Against that back, well, against that backdrop, uh, I think it's you know, it's interesting to see Clemson at number two on your list. Um, yeah. You know, do you – what do you think the numbers are saying there? And, and feel free to sprinkle your own opinion. Like, do you think Clemson's the second-best team in the country? I, I think Clemson messes around too much. We saw it, you know, the, well, we saw it even when they had Deshaun Watson. We saw a lot of it last year. Uh, my numbers actually didn't really like Clemson all that much for a good portion of last year until they turned it, they kind of hit fifth gear in November, which also seems to be their thing. We're going to mess around until we lose and we can't mess around anymore. Then we're going to, then we're going to try to lay the hammer down. 
But um, this season, I think what – I mean, number one, what they saw was a Syracuse game that uh, probably shouldn't have been that close. Syracuse had a couple of big plays that you can't – that came about in ways you can't really rely on. I have a number called post-game win expectancy, which basically takes all the – all the numbers from a given game that end up going into S&P Plus, they're used differently, but it basically tosses all the key stats from a game up into the air, and then they land, and, and it says, you know, you would have, based on the way this game played out, the, the stats from this game, you, you could have expected to win this game X percent of the time. Uh, for LSU-Auburn, the, the earlier example, it was like 22% for LSU. It was just a pretty unlikely formula that they took to win, and it's hard to replicate that formula. Clemson against uh, Syracuse today, it was 91%. It was basically from a stat standpoint, it should have been more like a 14 or 17 point win. Um, and if, if it were that, then I don't think we, we would be wondering about Clemson all, all that much. But this really is, I was a little surprised to see them move up to number two in the rankings. Among other things, it tells us how close number two, three, and four are. Clemson, Georgia, and Ohio State have just been kind of trading off and bouncing back and forth quite a bit. But I do think um, it, 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 I think with the, the components they have, they're extremely efficient defense. They're a, an efficient offense. Um, you know, they, they, they thought about not being efficient when they lost their quarterback on Saturday, but they figured things out. They were able to lean on the run a lot more than they have in previous years. I think that's important to note. They were all or nothing in the run game last year. This year they're kind of – well, this year they're kind of nothing at all. They're, they're extremely efficient, even if they don't have as many big plays. But it's still a really, really rock-solid team. It's a very Clemson team, I would say. So another team I think that is, is really interesting, it kind of has a similar dilemma as Clemson does because Clemson now, it looks like Trevor Lawrence is back, and so we can sort of <clears> settle <throat> there. But the quarterback change can, can alter things a little bit. I think we've seen with Notre Dame through the first three weeks, I really had my doubts, but now yeah. the book comes in and like the, the offense just looks so much more pleasing to the eye. Um, is that is that taken into account and and how do you see this Notre Dame team playing out the rest of the fall yeah, no, I, I've absolutely, I, I'm a lot more sold on Notre Dame. I mean, obviously, I thought Vanderbilt was a pretty good team early in the year. I'm less sure about that now, but I mean, so I, I was kind of at least giving them a little bit of benefit of the doubt for that game. But obviously, you know, you're taking your time getting past Ball State is everything I just said about messing around with teams you shouldn't be messing around with. But there's no question, the last two weeks, uh, they have looked the part of a, of a top five or ten team. And I'm really curious to see as opponents get film, as opponents start to adjust a little bit, if they can kind of, what, how, how they can puncture this offense because right now it looks tremendous. Now the ratings, the, the S&P plus rankings don't take that into account. It, that is one thing it just it, from a data, from a sample standpoint, I don't feel comfortable making adjustments for that or injuries or anything else. So the, they're, they're kind of almost going to be artificially low now at the, if, if book continues to play at this level. And that's another thing to point out. He's done it twice. You know, he hasn't done it 12 times or anything like that. He has only done it twice, but if they continue to play at the level they have, they're going to be in the top five pretty soon. I bet. Right, so I guess and that that's a case where you can look at this ranking and if you believe in the S&P Plus and, and you can say, look, Notre Dame's ranked uh, ninth, ninth. And yeah. so you can say, yeah. look, Notre Dame's ranked ninth, but I but. believe in Ian Book, and I think the last two weeks is probably pretty representative of what they're going to be moving forward. So you can sort of say, all right, I, I think this team might be a little better in their ranking and the S&P will eventually like, like respond to a bigger sample size of Ian Book. 
Is that fair? Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a fair thing to say. I do think one thing that, um, you know, it doesn't take injuries into account. It doesn't take uh, changes into account like that. But it does kind of remind us that one player is just one player. Like at the end of the year when um, play, more players start getting hurt and teams start adjusting, you know, from a line standpoint or just from our own perception standpoint, we sort of over-adjust sometimes. Uh, and and uh, S&P Plus can, it can do a kind of nice job of reminding us of, well, yeah, yeah, they're probably artificially low right now, but let's not overreact just yet. They're not – Notre Dame's not like – Number three now. They're still they still have to prove themselves a while longer. So I do kind of like having that that little nag uh, in the back of my head reminding me that maybe let's let's not uh, jump the gun just yet on this. Bill, uh, if your uh, your fans, your followers, they they know you all the way from Rock M Nation all the way up. So I want I'm just going to pitch this one a little open ended. <laughs> Can you order the SEC East two through seven in any kind of confident manner? Ha. Um, well, right now, I mean, they got to keep it up too, but right now I think Kentucky is a pretty clear number two. Um, that's an amazing thing to say, but I do think, um, they're, uh, they, I mean, they've just distinguished themselves at a level that South Carolina, Missouri, et cetera, have not. So I think I'm, I'm comfortable saying they're number two right now where it gets weird is three. Um, South Carolina, Missouri, Florida are, are kind of indistinguishable to me right now. I'm a lot more confident in Florida now than I was say two weeks ago. So maybe, Maybe they're coming along enough to to uh, get to that number three spot, but that's gonna. I think you know South Carolina, Missouri play this week. That'll be kind of interesting, um, and and we're gonna get those games, those head to, uh, head games here coming up. But I, I'm really curious about those two. The bottom. You know, I, I was comfortable saying Vanderbilt 6, Tennessee 7. I, I do think Vanderbilt's starting to lose its way a little bit, and they, they, they might sink a little bit further. But right now I would say those two are, are 6, 7 in that order. 3 through 5, though, is kind of a mess to me. We spend so much time on the SEC East in this podcast. I don't know why, but it is it fascinates us. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's it's not bad this year. It's not. I mean, Florida, South Carolina, Missouri, and Kentucky are all potential top twenty to thirty teams. Uh, so that's uh, that's different. Uh, there's not quite as much dead weight this time, but there's still a little dead weight. Well, let's so let's go to the top of the SEC East, and because I, I saw you write, or or maybe it was Twitter, I saw you sort of talking Georgia a little bit, and. Georgia appears to be a, an interesting. Uh, maybe it's just, maybe I heard you on your podcast, but mm. um, Georgia appears to be like an interesting um, program in the sense that like, they've gotten some um, some. They've been they've been fortunate in the turnover game. Uh, mm. They've they've not been necessarily overwhelming on offense, but they've gotten the job done. How do you gauge how good this Georgia team is? What what what's been sort of your perception of this team from a national championship sort of lens? Yeah, they, it is kind of funny. I mean, they basically won by margins that you would expect, only they did require a little bit of luck to do it. You know, almost one of the first plays of the South Carolina game, ball bounces off a shoulder pad and Georgia takes it back for a touchdown. In the Missouri game, they had the two, you know, it should have probably been 10 nothing Missouri in the first quarter, but they had the weird forward progress fumble, and then Missouri appears to make a field goal that's, called no good for some reason. And that's like a 10 point swing there. Uh, and then the whole fumble uh, laying the ball down before the end zone thing later in the game. And then Tennessee, they fumbled four times. Tennessee were fumbled once and Georgia recovered all five fumbles. Uh, if they recover, uh, uh, you know, say two or three of those instead of five, they're still obviously going to win comfortably, but it's a lot closer than expected. So it's a little, they're still obviously a really, really good team. And, and as much as I try to hype up Kentucky right now, I'm still, you could not pay me to bet on Kentucky in that game just yet. I, I need to see a little more from them uh, first. But, uh, you know, Jordan's clearly a safe bet here. But it is, 
interesting that they, they've kind of ridden a, a little bit of early good luck in these games uh, to avoid any sort of tense situations that they otherwise might have found themselves in. And it is at least, a, I don't want to say it's a concern, but it is there. It is something there that maybe they're not quite uh, clicking on all cylinders. They could, they'll find, they could find fifth gear at any moment, but they haven't yet. Do you think that there is anyone who has Alabama's gear this season? <laughs> I really don't. I thought Ohio State might. I haven't seen it yet. I, I, obviously, Ohio State's very good, uh, so I don't want to pretend otherwise. But I still – I mean, this really was. like, If you ever had a little masochistic streak in you where you're like, I wonder what Nick Saban would, what a Nick Saban team would look like if they had the number one offense, we're, we're finding out, and it's terrifying. And um, I do think anybody can be beaten, but they – to me, yeah. Like they, I, I do think that they have kind of a sixth gear right now, and everybody else is stuck on five, I think. So what about fun. the big game this weekend, Bill? Like a, a Texas team that has mm. been, I don't know, like they, there's been moments where they've looked really good and then they mess around with Kansas State in the second half and you sort of have your doubts and they're playing this high-octane Oklahoma team. What, what, what are your expectations for the game this weekend? You know, honestly, I, I expect a very good Texas performance because that's, that's what Tom Herman does. Like the whole thing about Tom Herman through his now fourth year in, in his uh, head coaching career, they play so well as underdogs, uh, Tom Herman teams do. And as favorites, they really just try to get by. And it's, it's, they really have been two separate teams. The second year at Houston, you know, they beat Oklahoma. They destroy Louisville. They lose to SMU. Uh, last year, they almost beat USC. They almost beat Oklahoma. They almost beat all these pretty good teams. Uh, and then they lay a few eggs along the way as well against the teams they're supposed to beat. They lost to Maryland twice. Uh, and they blew out USC and almost beat them last year when they were better, too. So I would assume this being a very big game, he's going to get his team up for it, and it's going to be kind of a good Tom Herman team. We'll see if that's enough. Um, Oklahoma's offense is really, 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 really good again. But, uh, I mean, I would expect a close game. I don't really know. I don't even know where the line is right now, but I would just kind of instinctively take Texas to cover because that's usually what happens when Tom Herman teams are underdogs. Tom Herman as a dog is a good principle, but when it comes to efficiency, Oklahoma's offense is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Like that's yeah, and they've gotten they've gotten their scares. Um, you know, they got scared by Army. They got uh, Iowa State played them really tough, so it's not going to be they're not going to be surprised by anything here, uh, and that's probably good to be a little battle tested. Um, okay, so when you wrote Football Study Hall, which by the way is a book that Bill wrote, you, and you talked to a lot of coaches, <laughs> um, I remember like I I remember one of my big takeaways I was telling Barton was that. Uh, that when you had discussions with David Shaw, for example, he was he was very interested and he was intrigued and he seemed very welcoming to the use of uh, advanced stats and analytics in mm. terms of his game planning. Uh, you know, in the years since then, what what have you seen in your conversations with coaches? Have you seen moods and attitudes change in terms of uh, what they're gravitating towards and what they seem to find really helpful? Yeah, I mean, I think right now we're stuck, uh, for the most part, in terms of quote-unquote analytics. I think we're mostly still stuck on fourth downs um, as a thing. And now that the NFL is actually going for it a little bit on fourth downs, I think that'll trickle down a little more. Maybe we get those numbers more to where they should be from a general like win probability added perspective. But uh, I, I think we're still... Five years ago when I wrote that book to, to now, it does still feel like there's a little bit of just a, hey, just tell me how to use this stuff to win games. I'm open to it, but you got to just sell me on it. Just convince me uh, that it'll help. And we're seeing a lot of things in terms of, you know, the, the, the catapult stuff, the GPS stuff, um, the, the health monitoring stuff. I think that's a, a big 
that, that's not necessarily analytics like, you know, S&P Plus type stuff, but it is an area where they're trying to create data and break it down to help their team win. And that's, uh, so that's been pretty useful. But I do think for the most part, I, I think they look at it as a fourth downs thing. Just, you know, what's the, what would help me win? On, should we be going for it on fourth and two from the opponent's 40 type of stuff and not necessarily full on, we're going to change everything about uh, our, our, our coaching philosophy. I do think a lot of teams are, um, are at least willing to do that though. So that's something. Or have, have they at least embraced like havoc plays? Didn't you create <laughs> havoc plays? Yeah, um, I, I can't. I don't know if I. It's, it's like year zero. I, I've been using that term so long. I don't think I coined it, but I don't really know who did. Um, Havoc plays might have come from Manny Diaz, actually, the the Miami defensive coordinator. I've talked to him on and off for a few years now, and he's been kind of at the forefront in terms of just like, yeah, TFLs are really good. Let's create tackles for loss. Let's create havoc plays. Let's create mistakes, and that's going to help us. Because I mean, that is the one thing that I've found in general is. Uh, efficiency is the best predictor you know big plays win games turnovers win games it's a lot that's not coachable though you can't go out and and just say hey we need more big plays go make more big plays so we can win this game you but when you get down to coachable things that efficiency aspect if you're staying on schedule better than your opponent is you're probably winning most of the time and the only real way to kind of knock a team off schedule if you're on defense is by taking the fight to them and, and making some tackles for loss getting hands on passes those sorts of things so what would be you said that coaches are sort of you know they're they're open to it but at this point they just are they don't really know how to use the, the numbers like right. what would be the right way what would be an effective way to really utilize all the analytics that coaches could have at their disposal if they wanted it well, I do think it's, you know, using the analytics at your disposal, you can start getting into, you know, everybody looks at tendency data. Um, everybody's real good at that. That's coaches, for as much as, you know, as much as we've heard stats are for losers or whatever through the years, coaches are, are probably football coaches, I should say, are the most analytical coaches you're going to find. They can break down tendencies. They don't need a spreadsheet, but they're going to know real quickly just from how much film they watch. Um, and I do think that if you, you properly use analytics, you can get a better, you can do a better job of, among other things, like, great, here's, here's what they do the most, here are their tendencies, here's what they're going to beat us with, um, and, and be able to break down film in a way that, you know, these things worked against the bad opponents we're watching on film, here's what tends to work against better opponents, what, what kind of things should I be looking for in that regard, and be able to sort of understand how to adjust for opponent, even if it's just in your head while watching film, uh, analytics can help in that regard, I think. But I think fourth downs are definitely the gateway drug, uh, which which is scary because like, you know, you can easily picture a scenario where you know a coach would normally punt on fourth and two from the forty or fourth and three from the forty or something, and then the numbers say, well, fine, you should go for it, and they say, fine, let's do it, and they don't get it. Well, they're throwing the book away at that point. Uh, so you basically get like one shot, and you better can make the fourth down, I guess. But it is still a way in, and that's better than you could probably say ten years ago. So should there just be like a, almost like a two point conversion chart, like fourth downs? Is that is that the way it like these, or or should it? Is there still a gut, like element to it, or 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 should just coaches just look at the numbers and say, down a distance, time, place, time and score, go for it. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing about the tricky part about college football, especially, is the talent is so big that, like, yeah, fourth and two from the, I'll use the same example, fourth and two from the 40, you know, against, um, I don't want to insult anybody, against insert bad team here, uh, your odds of converting that fourth and two are like, you know, 85% or something. You should definitely go for that. Against Alabama, it's going to be like 60%. uh, And that kind of changes the the expected points and the expected win value and all that stuff moving forward. So I do think there are some companies that are starting to try to provide that basically saying you in this situation against this level of an opponent here are your odds on what you should do but that is something we overlook sometimes um going forward against you know the random fcs team is not the same thing as going forward against alabama or ohio state before we get you out of here um want to want to of course uh promote everything so let's see we've got uh <laughs> sb nation rock m nation uh football outsiders podcast ain't played nobody uh, any, I mentioned football study hall, uh, the 50 greatest teams in college football history. Anything else? Uh, yeah. 50 best with an asterisk. Yeah. Uh, best with no, an I asterisk. I think that pretty much covered it. You can, yeah, you do the, do the Twitter follow. Uh, everything will be posted there from week to week. And that is, uh, on Twitter at SBN underscore Bill C. Uh, so Correct. again, before we get you out of here, West Virginia, that was the topic of this week's the numerical, uh, the, <laughs> I feel like, you know, we, we continue to come back to this idea that you know of of the min there there were very very real uh travesties and loss because of the hurricane in a very like selfish manner not getting nc state west virginia is just gonna go back to you know we could have learned so much about both those teams the the mountaineers in particular they've got that backloaded schedule feels like we're just going to be spinning our wheels watching wins trying to figure out if they are going to be a big 12 title contender uh, from from your view of the product on the field and the numbers they're putting up, you know what? Where do you judge and how do you rate this West Virginia team? Well, I think uh, I mean right now they're great. Um, you know the the biggest thing for me heading into the year, and I did mention. I mean it was a hopeful piece, but I did mention this like. The, the biggest question I had about West Virginia heading into the year is what happens if somebody gets hurt? Like they, they just don't seem to like looking at their two deep versus everybody else. The starting 22 was probably the second best in, in the big 12 behind Oklahoma, but the second string probably is more like, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth best in the big 12. It just, it, it seemed like there was a drop everywhere, but receiver, at least uh, there was a potentially decent sized drop off. Just not a lot of guys proven, uh, obviously not a lot of you know star recruits or anything like that. So I, that was my biggest concern. And, so far, they bucked that concern by not having any injuries, which, you know, is very smart. More teams should try that, I guess. <laughs> but um, if that, that's going to be the biggest thing, like they, I'm not sure they can withstand any sort of major injury, uh, any sort of hit from injuries uh, besides the receiver position. And so where they get hit by injuries, how much, if they do it all, I guess, that is going to determine a lot here. But they do. So in that way, you know, having the NC State game canceled probably worked out pretty well for them. It, it was a, a, just a dodge, basically. It was a chance for them to not get anybody hurt. Um, I think it hurt NC State a lot more than it hurt West Virginia in that regard. But, yeah, if they can stay semi-healthy. Nobody stays completely healthy except, what was it, that 2000 Oklahoma team that didn't lose anybody, uh, any starts that year. But um, if they can withstand whatever they get hit by then i do think right now they're the second best team in the conference and they're going to have a solid shot at oklahoma but do you think Uh, that they could beat oklahoma twice yeah probably not but you know time it well lose the first one and then win the second one and and hey you're you're in the sugar bowl or whatever at that point 
Yeah, the old Boise State. Was it Boise State, Fresno State last year that did that? Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Went back to back, basically, yeah. Yeah, Brian Harson just come out with a spring game playbook for the regular uh, season finale, and then all of a sudden yeah. come back and win it. Uh, he is Bill Connolly. You can follow him on Twitter again, at SBN underscore Bill C. Bill, you're the man. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.